informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and we got a lot to get to on our program coming up here. We're going to talk swine health. We're going to have a conversation with Dr. Megan Niederwerder from the Swine Health Information Center later on in the show. They have released their 2024 plan of work. We're going to talk about what that is, what that means for the swine industry, their call for research projects, and get an update on various uh, diseases impacting swine health around the world. We're going to talk to Dr. Niederwerder coming up here at segment three today. Before that, in segment two, we're going to get a look at the markets with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. He'll be joining us for a conversation, providing his perspective of what we're seeing as we near the end of the month of January. Also, later in the show, I'll have a look at news headlines to wrap things up here today. Some of the ag headlines we're watching around the world. So, again, thank you for joining us on the program. First up, though, let's take a look at some of the top stories that have been impacting agriculture here the last few days. DTN's Todd Neely joins us here on AOA to kick off the show today. Todd, thanks so much for being with us on the program. Hope you're doing well. Great. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Well, Todd, let's start uh, with the opening of this uh, sustainable aviation fuel plant in Georgia. I know you were covering this last week for DTN and uh, really exciting stuff here with this plant. Supposedly the first ever plant for sustainable aviation fuel being built here uh, in the U.S. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, well, Jesse, I think, uh, you know, when you think back on the history of agriculture, you know, one of the things, one of the time periods that we look at most often uh, as to when things really seem to change for the industry in terms of price support and markets and that sort of thing uh, was 2005 to 2007 when the renewable fuel standard uh, came into being. Um, you know, and as you as you know, there were a lot of uh, ethanol plants that were built. I mean, it was just a real boom time. I would say from about 2005 to 2010-ish, um, you know, since then the, the ethanol industry itself has kind of settled in, you know, there's just, um, you know, a lot of things that have changed. The industry itself has gotten more efficient. Um, you know, policies have been up and down. The RFS itself has kind of been a battle, kind of a battlefront over the years. Um, and so what, what sustainable aviation fuel represents is maybe a second chance in some respects for rural America when it comes to economic development and, you know, the promise that uh, the biofuels had brought originally. Um, and when you look at the plant that was uh, opened down in Soperton, Georgia last week, uh, it certainly fits the bill in that, um, you know, down the road, there's, there's a real, uh, a real effort, you know, among the, the ag industry, the ethanol industry uh, to find ethanol's place in that future of SAF and that future, mm -hmm. uh, could be mostly uh, using ethanol to make sustainable aviation fuel. And so it's it's kind of where things have gone. You know, it's been such an evolution with the RFS, and now we're at the point where we have another opportunity for rural America uh, on SAS. Well, and a couple things related to this as well. I know a story that broke on Monday that, that has some tie-ins here a little bit as well. I, I wanted to just mention I know uh, Summit Carbon Solutions and Poet have uh, entered into an agreement. They're adding all of 17, all 17 of Poet's plants in Iowa and South Dakota to their 
potential carbon pipeline. And I know that follows some of the calls, I believe, from Iowa Ag and Biofuels officials last week to uh, have more widespread adoption of carbon capture after they saw um, all the right. attractiveness, so to speak, of SAF production on the table here. And I know you covered that story out on Monday as well, Todd. Yeah, and you know, the thing that's interesting about this particular story, a poet had a deal with with Navigator, which was the, the, the uh, carbon pipeline project that uh, they basically canceled the project because of a lot of regulatory hurdles along the way. And so uh, the, the summit plant, which goes to about five states, uh, they're still facing a lot of similar hurdles and getting, you know, permitting and that sort of thing. And so um, the poet basically had a, a very similar agreement with the previous plant or excuse me, the previous company. And uh, so they've apparently found some some real common ground there on the summit project. It's something that's kind of interesting because I, I don't think POET, uh, you know, they don't tend to take these things lightly. It's probably well thought out. And so uh, it perhaps indicates the summit is maybe making some progress on getting, uh, you know, the necessary, necessary permitting that they need for that project. But it's certainly, um, when you look at POET's plants, they own, I believe, 12 plants in Iowa, and five in South Dakota. And so they basically put all those plants in South Dakota and Iowa on on the list for summit uh, to connect the, to the pipeline to. And so I think that's probably definitely gonna give that project a little bit of momentum. I think it, um, you know, it's something that's getting a lot of attention obviously with SAF. And so here we are, it's, uh, it certainly is a make or break moment for a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons. We're talking with DTN's Todd Neely. Todd, another uh, story I know you have, were covering recently that's tied in with ethanol here. Uh, ref some refiners petitioning to make RINs changes. Uh, what exactly is going on here? I know that's been a, a kind of a back and forth issue in recent years, Todd. Yeah, Jesse, you know, we've had, um, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of, a lot of refining companies that have filed for and received uh, exemptions to the RFS, and these are small refiners, which I believe it's 75,000 barrels a day or less of, of production. And so over the years, uh, you know, we've seen the, the RINs market, which is a biofuels credit market and the, that was established by the RFS. We've seen the prices of those RINs go up and down. And so, um, you know, refiners, small refineries in particular, uh, they have a greater a greater difficulty in uh, in meeting the demands of the RFS. And so we've seen repeated uh, legal challenges from a lot of them. Uh, in fact, there's still a number of those ongoing as well. And uh, so a couple of the refining companies uh, had written a letter to, to Michael Regan, the EPA administrator, uh, at the end of December, I believe it was. Uh, they're looking for the EPA to reform the RINs program. Um, and it's a very complicated program, but they essentially uh, have told the EPA that they feel like uh, the agency has dropped the ball uh, in how that program is supposed to be administered. And so uh, we've seen these types of uh, petition requests with the EPA on RINs before, uh, and EPA has largely rejected uh, any notion of reforming uh, that credit program. Although, um, in the latest RFA, excuse me, the latest RFS uh, proposal and final rule uh, that we've talked a lot about, uh, EPA did raise the specter of potentially taking a look at the RINs program at some point. So they've kind of always mm -hmm. left the door open to do that. Um, so here we are. We have yet another another request to uh, do some reforming. 
Definitely. And Todd, we're about out of time. One other thing I wanted to ask you about just real quick. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a story that you've been covering the EPA packing plant runoff situation. Could you give us a couple of the quick highlights there? Yeah, basically, uh, you know, a lot of meatpacking plants are connected directly uh, to navigable waters, you know, rivers and streams. And uh, for a very long time, the EPA has been pressed to to regulate these plants a little tighter when it comes to phosphorus and nitrogen, uh, two of the two of the pollutants that we talk a lot about when we when we look at uh, pol pollution runoff into the Gulf of Mexico and and all those things. And so, uh, EPA has another proposal out there now, 60-day public comment period uh, to do just that. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, definitely an interesting situation to watch. Folks can learn more about these stories, DTNPF.com. Todd Neely with DTN, thanks for joining us on AOA today. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, coming up next, Markets with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ankedge here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention on Friday, February 2nd. Stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. You won't want to miss the next Great Plains auction on January 31st. The online auction features an impressive lineup including a 2016 Case IH Steiger 420 Quadro Track Tractor, a 2014 Brandt BCX 1050 Grain Cart, Grip Track Combine Tracks, a Massey Ferguson 2605, and a 1951 Harry Ferguson. Find these items and many more when you visit GreatPlainsAuction.com for the online-only auction. That's on Wednesday, January 31st. My name is Ariel. When I arrived in the U.S. at 19, I struggled to find job opportunities without my high school diploma. My entire life changed when I took a chance and got my high school diploma at age 22. Everything I have, my education, my career, my marriage, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and my teachers. They were with me every step of the way, helping with my English and math, making sure I pushed through all the challenges. Ariel. Your success proves that what I'm doing as a teacher has real meaning. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. Education was the key 
that unlock all my opportunities. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, right now, let's take a look at what is happening in the market trade as we are getting close to wrapping up the month of January. There is a lot to talk about here. A lot of headwinds early in the week here for the graded oilseed markets. And we're going to discuss all that and more. Joining us for a conversation, Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge is with us here on AOA Today. Ted, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. And uh, man, oh man, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of various headwinds from things in China to geopolitical issues to a lot of economic data this week. We got managed money that is incredibly short in the grain markets uh, right now. There's just, there's a lot going on and most of it feels pretty bearish to these markets overall, Ted. Do you agree? Yeah, Jesse. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, man. I, I always uh, love coming on and and really doing anything with you, man. You, you're you're top notch. I, I you're yeah. one of my favorite guys to have an interview with. Well, uh, and secondly, it. also thank you for the fantastic intro music. Uh, Everlong is one of my favorite all time songs. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that uh, next time too. I'll yeah, remember awesome. that. <laughs> awesome. So that's the fun stuff. Now to your point, the not so fun stuff. Um, yeah, you know, we're having a little bit of a bounce today. Let's call it a turnaround Tuesday. Let's call it a alleviation of the rather oversold condition of the markets that we have right now. Um, you know, some people would like to say that, you know, we've gone too far to the downside and this might be the beginning of finding some footing and trying to find a bit more of a bounce. Um, I'm not so sure about that, right? Uh, mm -hmm. As you said, you know, the Chinese data is concerning. Their economy obviously is slowing down. Uh, we never really know how much to trust Chinese data. But for me, one of the main things that I always watch to get a gauge of their economy is their pork demand, which has been really rather soft. And to me, that says the average Chinese consumer is really tightening their belt. And that really makes me worried about the Chinese economy as a whole, because pork is one of the last things that they want to forego, right? Um, the other thing about China, Jesse, is that you've seen this record import uh, uh, for corn so far this marketing year for them. Um, and again, most of that's come from Brazil, their new corn trade partner, their new best buddy. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's come from the Ukraine, which they've never really skipped a beat to their exports to China. Uh, Ukraine historically has been one of China's biggest corn trading partners. In fact, I think I ha I think they they've had a, a deal in place for oh 10 years or so now to import at least 5 million metric tons from the Ukraine every year. And, and sure. that's really kind of kept up through the conflict, which is somewhat amazing. Um, but it is. I mean, it is it's that's what's happened. So it really hasn't benefited us as far as our corn exports. You can argue that there's some demand displacement, so like corn from Brazil that would have been going elsewhere is now going to China. Therefore, we're picking up a little bit of extra business for it, but it's not a one-for-one -one deal, right? I mean, we're not picking up an extra 10 million metric tons of business uh, from that. So yes, China's imported a record amount of corn so far this marketing year. 
It's not been beneficial uh, in a great way to us. But the bigger question is why, right? And, and so their, their soybean imports have kind of slumped. They're really rather underbooked for March, April, May timeframe into June. And a lot of people are expecting them to really pick up those purchases soon. But I'm wondering if something that they've been talking about for four or five years now, which is changing their feed rations. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've historically fed their hogs a really, really high proportion of soybean meal because they like that marbled, fatty uh, cut of meat like we like with our steaks. Yeah. But with a struggling economy and consumers not wanting to pay as much for pork, well, one of the easiest ways to lower pork prices is to, well, thin out that feed ration and use a lot more corn. Uh, and again, the Chinese government has wanted to do this for a while. And I wonder if they're using this economic slowdown, this slower consumer demand to get that change to happen. Uh, China has a history of using kind of unfortunate events to do their bidding, to, to get things that they ultimately want in the long run. And I wonder if that's what's occurring. And if that's the case, that's a really bad thing for not only us, but for Brazil and the global soybean trade as a whole, because if China can actually cut out some of their bean demand, a fair amount of their bean demand, and move into a period of time where we're watching Chinese bean demand decline for like the first time really ever in a significant um, uh, amount, well, then that's going to be tough, right? Because then we're going to have a lot of beans that we're not exactly sure where to go with. So I don't like what's going on in China uh, from a, and even from a bigger, broader uh, perspective, you know, they're starting to approve GMO seeds to be planted in the ground, which historically there's been a big no, no for China. Their ground is sacred. They don't like anything that is unnatural going into their ground, but I guess times change Jesse. And if they're able to plant GMO seeds for corn and beans, they're going to up their yields by a super tremendous amount. I mean, we're talking doubling their bean yields jesse so Mm -hmm. you know broader picture longer term there is a chance and i'm not saying it's a certainty but there's a chance and maybe a likelihood that china soybean demand might drop by 20 to 30 percent and if that happens you know they're the largest importer of soybeans in the the world by a long shot like on any given year that's 100 million metric tons of soybeans the number two importer of soybeans in the world is the eu as a whole and that's 16 to 18 million metric tons it's not even a, a fifth of what China brings in per year. So there's no way to replace that demand if China sheds it or is able to to mm-hmm. uh, to make these changes. So that's not a big, bright, rosy picture. Now that's not the here and now necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, well, well, you know, the lack of soybean uh, yeah. sales is, but. Well, and to that know. point, the here and now, and, the, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up because the, the here and now you know, we look here, especially with uh, the South American harvest ongoing, mm-hmm. and then you know, they're getting ready to plant some free corn. But also, we look at the U.S. and there's a lot of talk about that acreage battle already starting mm-hmm. to heat up here in the U.S. And mm-hmm. I know there's some folks concerned that if there's not some sort of significant shift in the U.S., you know, we could maybe be thinking about some threes on the corn side, and I'm talking that carry out, maybe getting up there. And then prices may be getting to threes. I've, I've heard a little bit of that chatter. I don't know if that's a concern to you, Ted, but I guess overall the here and now is, you know, looking at South America and then the U.S. acreage battle for this year. 
Yeah, Jesse, I, you know, I've been talking about the potential for a three in front of corn since we had a six in front of corn, as you know. Um, it is absolutely a, uh, a concern for me, Jesse. And it ties into what we were just talking about with the soybeans. I mean, if soybean demand is slumping in China and we're not going to get, you know, the big exports there, right now you've got a 2.5 uh, corn bean ratio, which should favor soybean acreage. But that could change here over the course of the next month or so. That could change some ideas. And let's face it, Jesse, we like to plant corn. And mm -hmm. at December 24, corn at 477, almost 480. Well, you know, yeah, it's not the price that we've been been enjoying for the last few years, but it's still a pretty darn good price. I think the for most guys, the, the math still pencils for corn. I don't see a big drop in corn acreage. And if that's put together with uh, a drop in, in soybean demand, and you've got big, big carryos, big balance sheets uh, in both of them. Well, yeah, we're, we're headed into a cycle of low prices again after coming out of the cycle of an extended period of time of high prices. This is how these things work. And that's why this is a big concern. I really think the only thing that can derail us from headed toward the numbers that you just mentioned uh, is going to be a major uh, growing season, a major, major supply side issue. Mm -hmm. And we just saw last year during our growing season, we had one of the, the toughest growing seasons that we've had since 2012. And we still ended up with a, a 177.3 national average yield in corn. Oh boy, you know, what does that mean? Uh, you can argue that rains were just perfectly timely and that's how we got there. And if, if there had been a week off or something like that, it could have been a disaster. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that's really concerning from a, a supply side uh, situation that we can have a, a growing season like we did last year and still end up with a monster national average yield. The difference, though, is 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 South America, right? If that second yeah. season corn, Safrina corn has trouble. They have different soils there, Jesse. Um, we saw in Argentina last year, South American corn can still really get hurt. So if there's a problem with the second season Safrina corn crop, that would delay this, this uh, shift to the other side of the pendulum, right? Um, and that would be good. And the longer we can delay that, the longer we kind of cut short the next cycle. So that would be great. But I don't think anybody, none of us can bank our marketing strategy on a problem in that second season Safranic corn crop. A lot of times, you know, weather patterns have this tendency to change like halfway through a season. And if that's the case, that could mean some really good weather for corn. I, 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 it's possible, Jesse, and, it, and it'd be great mm -hmm. to see it happen. But I don't think you can expect it. I think you do have to be pretty vigilant and pretty aggressive with your marketing here uh, because the charts look really not great. So, yeah, uh, do that. And then also, you know, you can reown if you want. Yeah. A lot of things to consider. Plenty of bearishness in the markets. Got to be smart about it. Ted Seifert, Zayner, Ag Hedge. Always good to have a conversation with you, buddy. Thanks for joining us at AOA today. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Jesse. Always, always a great time. All right, coming up next, we talked a little bit about pork with Ted. We're going to talk swine health with Dr. Megan Niederwerder from Schick on the way next here on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that 
that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. In quiet week trade, March corn futures have slipped to a new contract low early today. Weather in Argentina continues to be a concern, not reflected by the futures board. Hot and dry weather is sticking around in Argentina and surely sapping some soil moisture. Rain is expected to return sometime next week, but any major rainfall appears to be 10 to 15 days out. Now, the crop remains in pretty good shape, but a second consecutive week decline in crop ratings is anticipated. Just recently, the Buenos Aires Exchange raised Argentine corn production to a record large 56.5 million metric tons. U.S. corn demand remains solid, but has slowed recently. Last week's corn inspections were 35.5 million bushels. That is up from a week ago with total shipments for the year now 615 million bushels. U.S. corn export sales are also up 35% versus a year ago and on pace to reach USDA's estimate of 2.1 billion bushels. Domestic demand for ethanol slipped a week ago due to extreme cold and snow, but should have returned to normalcy this last week. We will find out when EIA releases their weekly petroleum reports tomorrow. Now, there are a few tenders around with South Korea's KFA buying 65,000 metric tons of feed corn, either from the U.S. or South America, and South Korea's FLC booking 133,000 metric tons. That will come from the U.S., South America, and or South Africa. Now that wheat say are lower this morning, precipitation from the past seven days helped winter wheat crop conditions in Oklahoma and eastern Texas. That's along with also the soft red winter wheat areas. The forecast is mostly dry for winter wheat areas this week, except for the Pacific Northwest. A heavy push of Pacific moisture across northern California this week is expected to bring beneficial precipitation to the western plains in the 6 to 10 day period. U.S. winter wheat conditions also continue to look much more favorable this winter compared to last. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. But you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind of know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
Joining us now on the program, we want to talk about the swine industry and get some updates on emerging diseases and research and much more. She is the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center. Dr. Megan Niederwer is with us here today on the program. And uh, Megan, it's great to catch up with you again. And congratulations on taking over the executive director role at Schick. Uh, Really uh, awesome to see and we appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the congratulations. It's great to connect with you. Well, let's start with the 2024 plan of work. The Swine Health Information Center has released that here just in the last few weeks. And can you give us just an overview of that plan of work and some of the highlights uh, for 2024? Yes, absolutely. We're really excited about some of the work that we have planned in 2024, really continuing to focus on our mission of mitigating the risk of emerging disease threats to the U.S. swine industry. So certainly there are different aspects of that that we try and address through the Swine Health Information Center and our mission. And really it's focused on five main strategic priorities or strategic areas. One of those is improving swine health information. So looking at how do we provide more data and more knowledge about the endemic disease risks how PERS is changing, what's the prevalence of PEDV in different age groups, how can we provide more information on Seneca virus A and how that is occurring in the sow farms. So thinking about providing our producers with more timely information um, as it becomes available and of course trying to increase the value of that information. The other Fantastic. Yes, yeah, the other strategic pillars that we've Uh, really focused on for 2024 is thinking about monitoring and mitigating those risks to swine health. That includes our global disease monitoring report, responding to emerging diseases, surveillance and discovery of emerging diseases, and then looking at our swine disease matrices to really prioritize the risks to the U.S. herd. Well, I know that with the plan of work, uh, this is something that is uh, an annual thing that Schick puts together. You guys have this plan of work that you've been doing now for quite a few years that, uh, to your point, really kind of helps guide our our research and guide the work that you guys do at Schick here uh, for the swine industry throughout the entire year. Right, Megan? Yeah, we really want to keep an eye and eyes and ears open for what's going on both in the U.S. and globally for risks, emerging disease risks to swine. And so really, when we boil down what Schick tries to do, we're really trying to monitor those risks, identify the risks, and then take the resources uh, through the checkoff that we've received and target research investments that will help us prevent and prepare and respond to those emerging disease threats. And really throughout our whole mission and our activities, we really want to try and have timely communication to producers so that that information that we're able to generate gets back out into the industry and can help again prevent and prepare for any of those disease threats. I know you guys also with the release of the 2024 plan of work, you had a 2023 progress report as well that kind of gets tied in with all this looking at the past year and the work you guys have done. So recap 2023 for us just a little bit, Megan, what were some of the highlights and and some of the work that that shit got completed last year? Yeah, one of our big programs was the Wean to Harvest Biosecurity Research Program. We funded 16 projects in 2023 through that program, 
And one of the advantages to the program is that we were able to leverage our funds with the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research and the pork checkoff. And so we were really able to utilize that uh, leveraging of funds to, uh, to resource and to award more projects. And when we look at the diversity of the projects, there's really some exciting work that's going to be coming out in 2024 due to those projects being funded in 2023, such as identifying ways in which we can enhance biosecurity during manure pumping. Um, thinking about the ways in which we utilize manure pumping, but ways that we can do that in a more biosecure manner to reduce the likelihood of uh, disease transmission. We're also looking at areas, uh, for instance, in uh, farm entry. So can we look at novel ways to have a biosecure entry system that maybe doesn't use water? So maybe it's not a traditional shower, but it's something like an air shower where there could be a a uh, high volume of air that reduces, again, the likelihood of any uh, disease entry into the farm. Well, we are talking with Dr. Megan Niederwerder, Executive Director for the Swine Health Information Center here today on the program. And Megan, looking ahead here to 2024 as well, more, I know you guys are looking for various research proposals to kind of add into your plans here for this year. And I know, I believe a deadline of March 1st, you guys have out there for submissions for proposals. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, for the 2024 plan of work, we just released a request for proposals. So we really want to increase the network of researchers that are doing work on emerging swine diseases and certainly uh, look at how we can initiate projects for the 2024 plan of work early in the year. So we really want to look at the, the value projects that we have put into the RFP, uh, have those uh, due by March 1st, and then get those started really as quickly as possible in the beginning of the year. There's a few new research areas that have been a part of this RFP. Uh, one is looking at coal cell biosecurity and secondary market biosecurity. We know that's a gap for our industry. How can we look at more biosecure manner in the movement of those that pig population, but also looking at what would be the best ways to have disease surveillance to reduce transmission risks? We're also looking at novel areas in biosecurity, such as how can we renovate or refurbish barns and sites to have a more biosecure entry system? So thinking about how do we take out the personnel part of it and have more engineered biosecurity as part of really a site facility design and construction. So certainly there are some exciting areas of research on this request for proposal. Um, and we are excited to see how many proposals we get again to award the highest value projects that can provide that information to the industry. If folks want to um, share proposals or submit proposals, I should say, what's the best way they could do that? I would have to think swinehealth.org is a good place to start, right? Yes, exactly. So we have all of our current calls for research under uh, on swinehealth.org, and then you can look at research and call for research. We currently okay. have the, the RFP for our 2024 plan of work. We also continue to accept uh, proposals through the Wean to Harvest Biosecurity Research Program. So anyone who's interested in developing a proposal and submitting that for consideration of funding through the Swine Health Information Center, our website would be the best place to go. All right. 
Uh, Megan, before we let you go here, let's get an update on just uh, swine diseases and emerging diseases around the world. African swine fever, of course, top of mind for many folks. We haven't seen it in the U.S. We hope it stays that way. But uh, give us an update on where things stand in terms of ASF's spread or in other parts of the world. Yes, we continue to monitor ASF as one of the high priority diseases for the swine industry. So where is it occurring? Uh, it continues to be introduced into new countries in the EU, primarily through wild boar is, is where they're having that exposure. We're also monitoring what's going on in Asia. Uh, China just recently reported a new ASF strain that was a recombinant of the type one and type two, which means those two virus strains came together to create a new virus. That has also been just recently reported in Taiwan. So we continue to monitor how the virus is changing in different areas of the world and also looking at how does that change the risk to the US. So as the virus changes, whether it be by geographic location or by uh, the type of virus it is, we wanna understand does that change enhance or decrease the risk of introduction to the US, whether that be through airport, seaport, entry at the borders or through high risk travelers. So certainly that's a continued priority of the Swine Health Information Center to, to monitor. How about things like PERS or PED, other, other various uh, diseases like those? Uh, I know PERS has been an issue here in the U.S. Any notes uh, on that or other diseases we're watching right now? Yes, we continue to watch PERS, understand what the, the, the strains uh, that are occurring in the industry, how those are changing. One of the things that we have recently reported on our uh, swine disease monitoring system is that we had the fourth um, month consecutive of increase of PERS prevalence in the wean to finish age group. We certainly want to keep an, uh, an eye on the wean to finish age group for PERS prevalence because what we've seen throughout the data that's been generated is that as that disease prevalence goes up in, in wean to finish, we see that as an increased risk factor for also the sow and breeding farm, and that there's a spillover risk when PERS gets to a certain degree in wean to finish and the risk for sow farms. So that's another area in our RFP, looking at what are the risk factors for spillover? What are the links between those sites and those farms? And how can we cut those off so that, again, we, we can reduce the risk for spillover to the whole industry? We also continue to monitor Japanese encephalitis virus. What's the risk for U.S. entry? Uh, certainly looking at the Australian experience and how they were able to mitigate that disease after their outbreak in 2022. Uh, and also continue to monitor PEDV. Certainly we want to um, look at what's the feasibility of the U.S. industry for eradication of PEDV. Is that something we can work towards, including our uh, domestic monitoring? Well, I know folks can learn more online, swinehealth.org, and we appreciate the time with that. Dr. Megan Niederwerder, Executive Director with the Swine Health Information Center. Megan, thanks for joining us on the program. We'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks so much, Jesse. And once again, learn more about Schick online at swinehealth.org. All right, coming up next, we'll wrap up AOA. Take a look at news headlines on the way right after this. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment, 
It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use, You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Justin Fries, a soybean trading expert with CHS, will provide a 2024 soybean demand outlook. Justin, U.S. soybean stocks have remained steady for several years while world stocks have increased. Do you anticipate that this trend will continue? Yes, I anticipate this trend to continue. So what we're dealing with in the soybean market here right now is massive and growing stocks here in the world. So when you look at like South America and you look at Argentina and Brazil together, they are set to harvest a crop here nearly 1 billion bushels more than one year ago. Argentina is coming off a historic drought. Their crop is expected to be about twice the size of last year. And Brazil will be harvesting a crop that's nearly a record. So when you combine those two, that billion bushels is just simply outpacing the demand in the world. Well, Brazil's share of global soybean exports is widening over the U.S. What does this mean for U.S. farmers? Just increased competition from Brazil, which has led to a decline in exports out of the U.S. over the course of the past four years. But here, the exciting piece of what that means for farmers is in the U.S., our U.S. processors are really expanding our crushing plants here in the United States. And we are growing to meet a surging renewable diesel demand here in the United States. So over the course of the next few years here, what we're losing in the export channel, we should be gaining that demand here home in the U.S. What should growers be watching as they make their soybean marketing plans for 2024? So South America is set to harvest their crop here. Brazil is just starting and that is going to pick up here big time. So what the market is trying to really determine here is how big is that crop? There were some key states in Brazil that were dealing with some drier temps early in their growing season. And now over the course of the past 30 days here, those regions did give moisture. And we have seen the, you know, the futures market and the price drop drastically from that. Again, that's Justin Fries from CHS joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention? On Friday, February 2nd, stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Baby, what do you say we just get lost? And welcome back to AOA here today. Let's take a look at news headlines before we wrap it up on today's program. And we're watching continued problems overseas in Europe when it comes to farmers and government. French farmers in focus after blocking highways around Paris with their tractors as part of nationwide protests demanding better pay and living conditions. Farmers in France, the European Union's biggest agricultural producer, has complained of unfair competition from rivals in more lightly regulated countries. And over the last week, they have set up roadblocks on motorways to highlight their cause. They have also damaged property, including local government offices. Now, in parts of southwest uh, Paris, Reuters footage showed tractors blocking the A-10 highway both to and from the capital with traffic diverted to smaller roads. Now, the French government dropped plans to gradually reduce state subsidies on agricultural diesel, but that has not satisfied the protesting farmers. After two weeks of protests that have spread across France, Prime Minister Gabriel Attal announced a series of measures to ease financial administrative pressure on farmers. He said a plan to phase out state support on diesel would be scrapped, red tape simplified, and an appeal lodged with the European Union for a waiver on block-wide rules on fallow land. But uh, head of France's biggest farming union, FNSEA, Arnaud Rousseau, says that um, we have decided to pursue our movement. The prime minister had not responded to all our questions, quote-unquote. So there is a lot going on. We've seen France's protests following similar action in other European countries, including Germany and Poland, ahead of European elections in which the far right, for whom farmers represent a growing constituency, is seen making gains in Brussels, too. Traffic on the ring road around the Belgian capital was disrupted by angry farmers, and about a dozen tractors made it through to Square de Meuse in Brussels' EU area, where they honked loudly. So there are a lot of angry farmers, it seems, right now in many European countries. And we continue to watch these situations very closely and some of the things that farmers are protesting for over in Europe. Well, a stalled trade agenda and unhappiness with the leadership of Biden's U.S. trade chief, Catherine Tai, has pushed more than a half dozen senior trade officials out the door 
according to reports from Politico. Current and former administration officials tell Politico that exits include the White House's point person on global economics and two trade deputies on Biden's worker-centered trade policies. Simmering discontent over USTR Catherine Tai's management and pulling out of Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF, talks in November are among the causes cited. Now, Tai told the Senate Finance Committee last year. Tariff liberalization, tariff reductions are not a part of this negotiation. Nevertheless, what we are doing is um, bringing together critical partners in the region to improve the interoperability and compatibility between our economies. House lawmakers also complained U.S. producers were losing ground to China and the EU making tariff-cutting deals. Ways and Means Republican Adrian Smith of Nebraska. I'm concerned that it seems that President Biden has not given you the mandate to address market access with any of our trading partners. Senate Finance Chair and Democrat Ron Wyden of Oregon told Politico that the recent wave of exits certainly raises questions about the trade agenda, one tie has defended citing domestic politics. Our traditional trade models and traditional FTAs have led us to a place where we are facing a a considerable backlash that we are listening to from our own people about concerns regarding the offshoring and outsourcing of American jobs and opportunities through these types of arrangements. A Biden worker-centered trade agenda versus Trump protectionism and steep tariffs could be a driver for decisive Midwest manufacturing and farm votes in an election rematch this year. Well, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced USDA investments designed to support the U.S. specialty crops industry. The launch of the Assisting Specialty Crop Exports Initiative will provide $65 million for projects that will help the specialty crop sector increase global exports and expand access to new markets. USDA also announced $72.9 million in grant funding available to support the specialty crops industry through the Specialty Crop Grant Program. The program will fund innovative projects designed to bolster the competitiveness of the expanding specialty crop sector. Specialty crop exports totaled $24.6 billion in fiscal year 2023 and represented 13.8% of total U.S. agricultural exports. Now, according to Secretary Vilsack, he says, quote, specialty crop producers feed our nation and the world with nutritious fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and they supply our communities with horticulture products. Yet they have unique challenges and opportunities to competing in the domestic market and several barriers preventing their products from entering foreign markets. Well, if you were lucky enough to try any of last season's Northwest cherries, you know the quality was outstanding. But Northwest Cherry Growers President B.J. Thurlby says it was the most frustrating year in his nearly 30 years in the industry, thanks to a lack of communications with California growers. You know, when we started to pick around the 15th of June, California had, you know, three or four million boxes on the floor still and was still picking. Got behind because their fruit was, it was okay, but they were shipping old fruit, you know, and they got behind and once it got to the market, it was sitting on the shelves between ten ninety nine a pound to five ninety nine a pound, and it just didn't move. Thurlby says that put some buyers off. You know, there's some portions of the United States right now that really believe they're in a recession. Whether they are or not is another story, but the reality is, is some people think that, and people have been kind of in a frugal mode. He says that's especially true for a product like cherries. Cherries are an impulse item, and part of the thing that pulls them through the system is they're seasonal, exciting, something different. But if you, you're a consumer and you can get grapes for a buck ninety nine, you know cherries have to be at least semi close to that. 
And once again, that's B.J. Thurlby, the president of the Northwest Cherry Growers. And also, Poet LLC agreed to connect all its ethanol plants in Iowa and South Dakota to Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed carbon pipeline as Summit continues to work through regulatory hurdles to build what would be a 1,250-mile pipeline across five states. The announcement comes just days after the grand opening of what is believed to be the world's first sustainable aviation fuel plant in Silperton, Georgia. Just last week, Iowa agriculture and biofuels officials called for widespread adoption of carbon capture and sequestration among Iowa ethanol plants to make the industry more attractive to SAF production. If the pipeline is built, Poet and Summit said at a news release on Monday, the Poet plants will be able to sequester about 4.7 million metric tons of carbon dioxide annually. Now, the Summit project has faced several regulatory challenges in the past year or so. On August 4th of last year, the North Dakota Public Service Commission unanimously denied a siting permit for the project that would traverse through Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota and North Dakota. Well, that's going to do it for all the time we have here today on AOA. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Michael Dykes from the International Dairy Foods Association. We'll also have a conversation with North Dakota Senator John Hoven and Markets with Mike Zuzalo. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? And you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect and may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.